Welcome back to another edition of the Dad You Podcast. My name is Chris Sherrod. I am the Marriage and Family Director here at Watermark, and glad you dads are joining us. We pray that you are continuing to be encouraged and equipped through God's Word, um, and maybe through some of the things we do here. That's our our prayer. Our, our motto that we kind of say in our ministry is that we are partnering with parents to build Christ-centered homes. Uh, just as kind of a reminder that this is parents' role, but I have stolen the Home Depot uh, slogan that they said, uh, I don't know, the last few years, you can do it, we can help. And that's part of what we <laughs> that's, do. That's their old slogan. I know, it's now pretty old. No, they have like, you know, something like do more better or yes, something like that. exactly, yeah. We'll stick with the... We don't like do more better. I know. We want right. to help. We don't want to just <laughs> say do better. Yes. So if you just heard some voices, join joining me today um, in our studio. Um, we have Jonathan and Jermaine. I'm going to let them introduce themselves and their families and what they do here at Watermark, and then we'll talk about why they're on the show. So, Absolutely. Jermaine. I'll jump in. My name okay. is Jermaine Harrison. I'm the students director and the showline director here at Watermark Community Church. Um, I've been at Watermark, a member since 2012, and I've been on staff in some capacity on the students team uh, since 2014. And so over the years, I've just worked with lots of families, tons of leaders, hundreds of leaders, and yeah. hundreds of students on a mission to um, know and accept each student, to teach them about Jesus, and to challenge them to grow. I've been married uh, to my lovely wife, Hannah, for over five years. We have two children, a three-year-old son, Winslow, and a one-year-old daughter, Darcy. Awesome. And my name is Jonathan Linder. I am the WAKE director. That's just our ministry of middle school students. I've been on the students team for about three years now. Um, I've been a member at Watermark since uh, college, my freshman year, which was 2017. I attended DBU, found this place, and have been plugged in here ever since. I have married my wife, Lennon, and we have one daughter, Lucy. She's two and a half years old. And then we actually have a baby boy coming here in a couple weeks. His name is Leroy. So we're excited for that. Nice. That'll be a big change for us. Okay. So you, you're the only one that won't have a L name. Yeah, that's is kind that of okay? the thing. Okay. Is, uh, I, Jonathan, and then we've got Lennon, Lucy, and Leroy. Yeah. But, but you have Linder in your name. I do. So, okay. Yeah. I get to hold that. That's nice. <laughs> well, fun. I didn't realize you were having a boy. Yep. Okay. Leroy. It's going to be awesome. He's coming. Okay. Did you come here right after college? I joined, uh, was a member my, I basically became a member my freshman year of college, got involved in the college ministry. Okay. And then once I graduated, I did the residency program. Oh, nice. And then jumped on okay. staff. Got it. Yep. And we'd actually met your, what, freshman year? Yeah, my freshman year of school. Yeah. Uh, I was a part of a program at DBU called Stonehouse, and Chris was actually a speaker. So yeah. Chris came and spoke to me as a freshman, and when he came on staff at Watermark, I went back, found my notes <laughs> from four or five, I guess six years ago, That's and amazing. saw this guy, Chris Sherrod, teaching about God's Word. Um, so that, fun. Was, that was kind of a fun little connection. Yeah. That's awesome. And then you've been here a decade. That's crazy that you've been doing this. Yeah. In youth pastor years, that's like 400 <laughs> it's years. Like, it's like 40 <laughs> years. <laughs> but no, I am still just as passionate about um, students and seeing them understand God's word, love God, uh, and follow God. And so okay. it's, it's, it continues to be a blast. Good. A little less relevant than you want. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not keeping stay, up with all the trends. with the times. <laughs> so for guys who don't know you and they're hearing that you have a little bit of an accent, tell us why. 
Oh, I uh, I was born in Jamaica in yeah. the Caribbean, and I grew up in St. Martin, Eastern Caribbean, um, and moved to Dallas in 2010 to attend seminary, Dallas Theological Seminary, um, and thus began my journey of losing my accent, my Caribbean accent. I had um, three roommates, one from Australia, one from Northern Ireland, and one from uh, Atlanta, Georgia. And so it was a, a melting pot of cultures and a melting pot of uh, um, accents, and slowly but surely my, my accent is fading. So. But it still sounds cool. Do you get it more when you go home, though? Does it come back stronger? Uh, I mean, I haven't been home in... Oh, okay. I haven't been... Or around family? Home is Dallas, no. Got it. Uh, but but I haven't been home to the Caribbean in over a decade. Okay. Yeah. When my wife goes back to Alabama, like to visit, when she comes home, it's her... her the draw comes back. back. A little <laughs> more. Yep. There's a draw. You can just tell. Yep. Okay. Well, let me tell you, dads, why I brought in these guys. So they have worked with young people. And what, what I thought was to do a different take on ministering to our kids and just to hear from these experts uh, who deal with young people all the time, what, how important is the role of a dad and what you've seen? And then to make it personal also, if you want to share a little bit of how now becoming a dad mm-hmm. has affected how you view these parents. And uh, I'll share a little bit. I think you guys know this, but for eight years, I was a youth pastor. So I was a school teacher for six years and coached. And then I, I which I thought eight years was yeah. Forever. Now you've got me beat by the two. That's awesome. Yeah. So always have loved young people. And then just the more I did, you know, ministry with them, realize, man, the importance of the home. So why don't we start that way? How have you, Jermaine, you start, how have you seen in, in this last decade the impact that the home has on kids? I'd say, I'll say something that uh, my predecessors, David Peniel and Bron Brown, have always said, and I have seen it to be true okay. in, 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 you know, 99% of the cases. And, and what they've said is the, the number one indicator or the most common denominator, uh, that if you look at all of the students that have come through our ministry who continue to have a thriving, abiding relationship with Jesus in college and in their young adult years and, you know, on into the rest of life is that at least one parent um, was devoted to Christ mm. and and daily seeking to know him, love him and follow him when they were in, in, their, in their home. And so all that to say the role of the home and of parents is absolutely critical to be honest. And to even be more specific, I think the role of the dad um, in in the home is absolutely crucial. You know, when you you think of stereotypically, um, you know, kind of the the, the spiritual leaders of, of homes, like when you look at movies or even culture or the person that um, people celebrate, they usually celebrate their mom, mm-hmm. which is which is great. I love that they celebrate their mom. Um, but I, you know, when you look at the epidemic of fatherlessness mm-hmm. um, in our country, in America, and specifically in the African-American community, and, and you look at some of the, the results of that, you see um, how essential it is for a dad to um, offer uh, the safety and nurturing environment of being with their sons, with their daughters, and and loving them and caring for them and uh, affirming identity that they have in Christ and teaching them God's word and teaching them to follow God. Um, I mean, it's, I could keep going. It's absolutely crucial is, yeah. is my response. Okay. Yeah, I think the only thing I'd add, I really do feel like 
obviously don't have the 10 years of experience, but the, the students that I have seen that come or have a secure home and stable and, and really structured seeing parents have those those roles in their lives that are active and walking with Jesus, they those students just walk with a different security and confidence. Yep. I mean, you can, you can tell the difference uh, of a student who, I think all students, middle school and high school, the two things that I, I continually come back to that I think students struggle with the most are purpose and identity. Hmm. They are asking the question the most in this season, who am I and what gives me value? And I think the role in which the the home plays in answering those two questions, and specifically even, like Jermaine said, the dad, is so crucial to forming how they answer those questions on a daily basis. Wow. Yeah. I mean, the the other thing that came to my mind in response to, you know, that question is just even thinking about my own life now as a dad Mm -hmm. of a three-year-old son and a one-year-old daughter. I mean, there have been countless times genuinely over uh, my son Winslow's life where, you know, he's woken up early and he's come into the room where I've been spending time with the Lord, journaling or reading or praying or, or whatever it might be. And he has asked, you know, when he's been able to, you know, like, what are you doing? And I'll say, I'm, I'm reading the Bible. And then he'll ask, why? Why are you reading mm. the Bible? And literally as a, you know, as a two-year-old and as a three-year-old, I've gotten to explain to him, hey, I read the Bible because um, I love God and I want to build my relationship with him. I want to know him more. I want to know more of his love for me and know how I can um, best serve you, three-year-old son. Like I've genuinely had that conversation numerous times and, you know, just reflected on, man, what would this be like, you know, if I wasn't a part of the home or if I was a part of the home, but just wasn't intentional in my own personal uh, walk with the Lord. And so from an early age, getting to see the fruit of um, my own abiding with Jesus, uh, you know, rubbing off on my kids. Or if every time you walked in, you were either on your phone or watching TV. Yeah. that That says a lot too. Not that you can't do those things, but just to think like if you were to ask the average kid, does your dad read the Bible? And then how do you know that? You know, like, do you ever see him? Does he ever talk about it? Anything like that is just, you know, it's a big part of it. And, yeah, and what are they most passionate about? Yeah. Like, and it's funny, I have a two, you know, my two-year-old daughter, she she has a toy phone. And okay. I feel like she loves this toy phone so, so much. Like, this morning, she was literally asking, like, Mom, like, where's my where's my phone? And obviously, it just says little numbers and, you know, kids, sings kids songs. But I think that I wonder sometimes, like, does she love this phone? because she sees mm. us on our phone wow. so much. It, like our attention is always there. Yeah. And, and to your point, like I think they pick up and take in so much of what we as parents care about, give our time and attention to. Yep. So when I was a youth pastor, I remember, I, I just don't feel like I was trained too much or prepared like for, to be a youth pastor. I was fun, I enjoyed teaching. But how many parents would come to me and just talk about like, here's what, make sure you're teaching this or talking to my kids about this or literally you got to fix my kid. Like, like using <laughs> words like that yeah. on me, and this is a much smaller church, but, but me feeling like, oh, okay, uh, all right, I'll, I'll uh, make sure that I teach and, and kind of assuming that role. And I also remember, and then later I did a weird thing. I read my Bible and realized that's not my role. Yep. <laughs> that's actually the parent's role. And I want to in- encourage and help you guys. But I remember thinking there are some kids who, if they weren't at church on Wednesday night, that was my typical Wednesday night uh, program, I would be worried like, oh man, what are they into now? Why aren't they here? But then there are other kids 
if they weren't there, I'm like, oh, they're probably with their parents or they're probably like, I was okay with them not being there. And one of the um, the ones that always came to my mind, there's these three girls who were really talented, like they helped in our worship band and um, really fun, but they, and they were, they were attractive, but they were not boy crazy. And I remember talking to the oldest one, uh, Jessica, and I was like, so Jessica, tell me why, like, why don't you date? Why aren't you all into dating kind of a thing? And it was before youth on a Wednesday night, and we were had to, just happened to be standing by there. And I think that was one of the the topics that had come up recently. And she kind of did this sweeping motion with her hand towards all the guys. She's like, you know, I don't need all of that. And she kind of like <laughs> motioned towards any of these, all these immature guys. And I was like, well, I mean, why, do, why don't you feel like that? Because a lot of girls, you know, your age, that that's a big deal or it's part of their identity. And she said, you know what, my dad has just always consistently taken me and, and my sisters out and has affirmed us. And I just don't need that right now. Like I'm not, I don't, I don't feel any need. And it just really reminded me of, man, what an important role for a dad to feel like I can give my daughter security by just going out like on dates or just affirming her. And again, like you said, purpose and identity, giving those. And it was, but they were one of the girls where, one of the ones in my youth group that if those girls weren't there, I wasn't like, oh boy, what are they? Mm, they've missed a few, you know, like <laughs> other kids, you're like, this is not good if they're not showing up. Because again, I felt like this is their only, you know, lifeline. Yeah. And we can come in obviously and fill in if there's parents, you know, that are yeah. not believers or, you know, not doing their role. But I think we we assume that role too much in, in ministry. Totally. There's this funny meme that I thought of when you were sharing that. And, it, you know, it's like on the Babylon Bee or, you know, some, some kind of satire uh-huh. website like that where, you know, it's a picture of a parent dropping off a, a kid at church. And like the, the you know, the, the, the wording on the meme is like, parent dropping off their kid for an hour and a half of discipleship and completely, you know, entrusting their their child's spiritual development to this hour and a half right. meeting. And it's it's funny because there are some parents that that do think like that. Like, hey, I'm, you know, my job as a parent is to drop bring you to church, bring you to church experiences so that you can be spiritually formed there and nothing could be further from the truth. Like the 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 student ministry, the kids ministry, the whatever your 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 children are a part of is is a supplement and icing on the cake of you and your spouse's intentionality to um, disciple your kids in the home. That that should be the the you know the baseline that we all that we all think about. And so, you know, as you share that, I, that that funny yeah. theme came to my mind. <clears throat> and the other side of it too is, you know, there are families, there are students that I've gotten to, you know, know and and, and minister to over the years who don't have, you know, what Jonathan was talking about, the stable environment where there's a loving dad and a, a, a loving mom who are committed to Christ and are walking with Jesus and inviting them along the way. And and for those people, by God's kindness and God's grace, we do get to be, you know, secondary parents in a way in terms of how we get to partner with them and disciple them and um, point them towards Jesus and um, praise God for the opportunities that we have to, you know, truly be a father to the fatherless, yeah. like like Proverbs talks about and and, and shepherd and guide those those. But those are the exception to the rule of yeah. um, like the majority of, of, of students that we come across and, and, you know, that the reality is that the, the most effective discipleship starts in the home. Yep. So. 
So I read a stat recently. Some you guys, most people have heard of George Barna. Um, he's this professor at Arizona Christian University, and he directs this cultural research uh, center. Uh, most recently, I was reading a stat that he said he did this two-year study on young people, and he found that by age 13 is when the majority, pretty much of all kids, their worldview is pretty much established. Like what they're going to believe about the basics, about who God is, what the Jesus, am I a sinner? Why do I need him? What I believe about the Bible. Those are established by 13, which in, when I first read that, I was like, oh my goodness, that's way earlier than I think. Because we talk so much about making sure our seniors are ready to go off to college. But it's like, listen, we can prepare them and give them, you know, reasons and, and you know, answers and things like that. But by age 13, Barna says, for the most part, that worldview is unlikely to change. Let me ask you, first of all, uh, how does that strike you guys and as far as the, the importance of, of your role and the ages you deal with, but also then uh, I'll share with you the second part he says about parents. So what do you guys think about that stat, first of all? Yeah, I think that the first thing that comes to my mind is just the emphasis on not only our ministries, but also to parents of intentionality. Yeah. And that, that's the word that like continually comes back to my head. I read a book that was really honestly formative for me. It was called The Intentional Father by John Tyson. And, and just that idea of giving thought to truly every aspect of formation of your kid's life. Yeah. And from the way that I, the songs that I sing my daughter as I'm putting her to bed at two are having an impact, as silly as that is, on her worldview that she will once one day carry. Yeah. And uh, I, I think that that really is so, again, important for us to continually be thinking about in our ministries. Like Jermaine said, our mission is that we, we want students to be known and accepted, taught about Jesus, and challenged to grow. And our vision is for our student ministry that we are together guiding future generations to follow Jesus and be the church. Mm -hmm. And I really love the way that our mission is truly how we accomplish that vision, that by students being known and accepted, taught about Jesus and challenged to grow, is how we accomplish students by the time they leave, have their worldview formed, they walk out and they go, hey, what is it? Now I know and have experienced what it is like to follow Jesus and be the church. And I think the, you know, as I hear that, hear that statistic, I go, man, it is so important that they are known and accepted, taught about Jesus and challenged to grow in their student ministries, but especially in their homes for the purpose of by the time that worldview solidifies and forms, they can go and genuinely follow Jesus and be the church by themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's good. <clears throat> the thing that came to my mind as, as you asked, shared that statistic and as Jonathan was sharing is that it is of utmost importance that Christian parents and Christian dads are on the front lines of the worldview formation of their children, mm -hmm. especially in today's culture. And, you know, with that statistic, something that we've experienced being in student ministry over, over the years um, is, um, as kindly as I can put it, just some parents that their heads are in the sand, like they're unaware of maybe the, the topics that their children are learning about in school or in conversations with friends or on social media, or they think that their kids aren't ready for mm -hmm. those conversations, yep. those big worldview issue conversations, when really their kid, their worldview on those things is being formed by music and movies and friends and teachers and, you know, everything else except their parents. Yep. And I just go, man, it is so important for parents to just, you know, come to that that understanding of 
yep. the reality of the responsibility that that we have. And their silence is telling them something. Yeah, it's telling the kids either this is irrelevant or I'm I'm not a source of uh, input that you can go to to be trusted to know how to deal with these cultures because it's either mom and dad aren't aware of these things or they don't care or the it's just. You just yeah. end up sidelining yourself. Yeah. And it's not like you have to be up to date on every religion or cult or every apologetics issue. But when you pray with your daughter or your son, you're establishing a part of their worldview. Like, this is why we pray. Or when you go to the Bible or when they see you reading your Bible or when you talk about your own testimony, like all of those things. And shameless plug, our faith path that we developed is intended to give parents, like, here is a step-by-step from birth till 18, like, Just pick one of these a year and just emphasize this for your kids. And these are part of this, you know, path that you're leading them down. So the study goes on. So George Barna goes on. And what he says is that, let me just quote what he says. uh, America's children are in the process of adopting syncretism as their predominant worldview. And he says, what he says is they are following in the footsteps of their parents, of whom only 2% have a biblical worldview, and 96% are syncretists. So he defines... Uh, syncretism as kind of a disparate, irreconcilable collection of beliefs and behaviors that define people's lives. But he says it's a cut and paste approach to making sense of Mm -hmm. and responding to life. So rather than having this intentional, kind of this internal consistent philosophy that comes from the Bible, parents are basically embracing all these views or actions that are either comfortable or convenient or popular. And so so it's the problem is the parents don't have a, a grounded worldview. If only 2% of them have that, and then if they're, if it is true that they're the biggest impact, then the kids are just adopting what they're seeing, you know, their parents, you know, live out in front of them. And so there's that old expression, more is caught than taught. Mm-hmm. And I heard a guy say one time, our kids aren't rejecting our theology, it's our hypocrisy. Mm-hmm. That it's like, we you say this is important, and we do this big deal once a week going to church, but then the rest of the week, it just doesn't look like it's that big of a deal, you know? Yeah, I've heard it said that, Kids will often fail to do what you say, or they often fail to do what you say, but they rarely will fail to do what you do. Mm-hmm. And, and I think to your point, even what Jermaine said earlier uh, of quoting David Pinot and what Braun used to share a lot of saying that that kind of thread, the common thread of students that leave student ministry or leave their time in high school and continue to follow Jesus into college is that they had an active and abiding parent at home modeling hey, we don't just go to church and that's mm-hmm. not just something we do on Wednesdays and Sundays, but man, we invite people into our home. We yeah. share the gospel with waiters and waitresses. Yeah. We read our Bible in the mornings. We pray together, not just at meals. We pray together when uh, someone genuinely says, hey, will you pray for this? We don't just say, hey, th- you're in our prayers. Like, right. We actually like- Thoughts and up. prayers. We you circle know? up yeah. as a family and we do that. And And there's this picture of truly an abiding and active relationship that goes, Exactly what you said, Chris. Like, man, my parents are someone I can come to with every conversation or thing that I face because I know that there's a level of safety and intentionality that I will con- con- consistently be met with. Yep. Yeah. The the thing that came to my mind is um, a saying that you know I've heard a ton around here at Watermark is uh, you can't impart what you don't possess, mm-hmm. and the heart of that phrase is. You know, to your point, if parents, if the studies are showing that parents, you know, 2% of them even have a biblical worldview and their worldview is is syncretistic, mm-hmm. like, what do you expect? You're, you're, that's exactly what you're going to impart your, to your children because that's yeah. what you possess. And so, um, you know, the thought that keeps ringing through my mind is um, the most important thing that 
any parent can do in their parenting of their kids is their personal um, spiritual walk mm-hmm. and, and investing in that self-leadership, um, devotion to the Lord, growing in your own faith and uh, why you believe what you believe. Like all of those things are the most powerful the most powerful thing you can do for, for your, your kids. Like, yes, I get advice and read books and listen to podcasts like this, but at the end of the day, the first and most important thing that you can do, um, in your parenting is to, um, allow yourself to be shepherded by God and by, um, God's people. Yep. And just so that dads know, we're not saying you have to be perfect. And I think that's where a lot of times dads are like, but I'm, I don't know so much or so much that I've got to learn or whatever. And I think, this, the book I read last year by Christian Smith talked about um, the impact of parents' own imperfect faith, mm-hmm. that you're growing and you're stumbling right along. And so if, a, if your kid comes to you with a question and you don't know, A, don't just start making stuff up, but B, don't dismiss it as, I don't know. But that's where you get to go, well, let's figure this out. I don't know. Let's try to, let's research it. I don't, I've never heard that belief before. Or, yeah, that's a new definition of sexuality that I, you know, that wasn't in my generation so do something about it. Like you, you're, you're engaging with them to figure it out rather than just like, I'm going to go ask Jermaine. You yeah. Know? yeah. Something we did as a, for our, our small group, I have a group of eighth grade boys and we were just studying second Timothy three a few weeks ago. And specifically, I kind of left the boys with the challenge and the question of like, how do we know that the Bible is true? Mm-hmm. Like if we read second Timothy three sixteen and we see that all scriptures God breathed, like how do we know that, you know, every other religion claims that, that yeah. their word is true. But, but I really left the boys with that question and go, Hey, go and, and think about that. And after small group, I kind of had this moment where I go, I wonder if any of them are going to go to their parents and their parents are going to be kind of like, oh, like maybe I kind of know some handles for that, but I don't know if I can truly really walk you through this kind of air quotes, perfect, you know, explanation for why the Bible is true. But I think it was a really good thing, even as we got to circle back up with our boys to go, hey, these are the conversations I started to have with my parents and, and hearing from them to go, Hey, we kind of learned together, like exactly what you're saying, Chris, like we figured this out. And again, man, not that you're, you're always a parent that is perfect in your responses or, or answers or how you even walk out your faith, but are you living out, man? What does it look like to own it when I miss, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, I even think about that with my two year old right now. Like when I get angry, like there've been a few times where I've given her a, a spanking or a, you know, a little flick out of frustration and and I want to practice now with my two-year-old mm-hmm. looking her in the face and going, hey, Lucy, will you forgive me? Yep. She has, for the most part, probably no idea what I'm saying to her. But right. forming that idea of I don't have to be perfect. I can continually work on this and figure this out. And it is a communal thing to figure out how we grow and shape our kids in their faith and walk with Jesus. That's yeah. And the thing I'll add to that, the reminder for me as a dad and me and my wife is, you know, perfection isn't the standard, you mm-hmm. know, faithfulness is and, 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 and pursuing excellence is. I can get on a soapbox about that phrase, nobody's perfect. Well, yeah, of course, we're all sinful and broken. Mm-hmm. But anyways, I think it's just so easy, like you're saying, to like, you know, feel that pressure of never making a mistake and I think some of our our best parenting moments come in how we respond when we do make a mistake. Yeah. Like, you know, I've seen my my wife has done such a great job at this, and and is an example to me even of moments where she is frustrated with our son or you know whatever else, and has gone back and sat him down and said, "Hey, you know, I was frustrated. I shouldn't have responded this way. Like, will you forgive me?" And he's you know. 
he's he's understanding it a little bit more because we train him, you know, when there's moments where he needs to be disciplined for how he's treating his sister or whatever, that um, you, you go and you ask for forgiveness. You don't just say, I'm sorry. You say, hey, will you forgive me to get a, a response? Obviously, his sister's one. She doesn't understand, <laughs> you know, granting forgiveness. But just like showing that, you know, making mistakes uh, is a part, is normal. But what's uh, what's not normal, unfortunately, is is owning your mistakes and um, and and seeking to make amends. And hopefully, in the dads listening and us will make that more normal. That yes, we do make mistakes. We yeah. are not perfect, um, but that's not the standard, and we get to respond, um, you know, in a Christ-centered, spirit-led way. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, so last two things. One, I know Jermaine during our parenting conference, you did a breakout. What was it called? What your um, what teen? your what your teenagers wish they could tell you? Okay, yeah. Can you give me a quick summary? Because it's available online. Yeah, for it to is listen to, but on however they get to the uncommon. Yeah, you got to type it in right yeah, now. Uncommon yeah. parenting. Um, so just so the dads know, the premise genuinely. Um, when I knew I was gonna give that that talk at the parenting conference last fall, last spring and summer, you know. Several times when I would sit down with students at, you know, meals and stuff over the summer um, or even in our large group gatherings, I would say, hey, I'm giving this talk and I want you guys to honestly answer that question. Hmm. You know, um, what are topics that if you knew your parents wouldn't freak out or uh, get mad or, you know, respond negatively in any way, you know, what are some things that you would want them to want to be able to have a conversation with them about or maybe what are some things that your parents responded in a great way that you were nervous about how they would respond and uh, these are just some of the things that they said I wish that my parents would understand how to give me earned freedom you know Hmm. you know uh, as one book puts it like planned emancipation you treat a (laughs) 12-year-old differently than you treat a 16-year-old and, you know, an 18-year-old, et cetera. You know, I want them to understand the impacts of social media on my on my life at home and at school. Hmm. I thought that that one was interesting of them telling on themselves of like, hey, this is a, this is a water in which I swim, but I realize I actually understand how it's um, harming me yeah. in, in, in different ways. Um, I wish my parents understood the power of their words over me. And so just talking about the opportunities for um, encouragement, for speaking life, for speaking value and purpose and identity into your kids that, you know, more kids were hungry for that or desiring that. Um, I want my parents, I wish my parents knew I listened to them more than I think. And I thought that one was funny because, you know, every parent, you know, has seen the the eye roll kid, yeah. the kid who just does not even seem to be engaged in the conversation well you know, based on them telling them themselves, even though they seem like that, they are actually listening. Um, and I think one more would be, you know, I wish my parents would um, understand that being a teenager is hard. Yeah. I think that that's the most challenging one for parents because being a, a, an adult is hard. Like, you yeah, know, you uh, might want to tell your kids, why don't you try, you know, all of the responsibilities that comes with being being a dad, yeah, you know? Yeah. It's, it's way harder than your random you know, social challenge, um, but the opportunity to get on their their level and, you know, put yourself back 
into when you were 16 or when you were 14 and the experiences that you were having and just being patient and gracious with them um, is something that they desire. Uh, And so it was really fun getting to hear those points of feedback and and share them with with the parents at the parenting conference. Yeah. powerful opportunity. I like the way you worded that. And I think hopefully dads, you're listening. The kids were said, if I knew that my parents wouldn't freak out or I wouldn't get in trouble. Yeah. And so that already tells you like, what are their assumptions? Like, I, oh, I could never tell my parents because yeah. my dad would just freak. Yeah. That says a lot, you know, versus like, oh, I can come to my dad and talk about anything. Like that tells you again, and you can always, always make adjustments, dads. You can always make a course adjustment of, you know, Asking for forgiveness or, hey, I really want to be better at listening to you or being more understanding. Because I do know so many times with my own kids, having had now six kids go through the teenage years, there are things where you're like, that is so trivial. Like, that is that is not that <laughs> Right now, to, as an adult, yeah. you're like, why is that a big deal? But at that moment, it was a big deal. Like, I remember a girl breaking up with me. I thought, like, my life was over <laughs> when I was a teenager. And it's like, no, you're going to find a wife. You know, it's you're going to be okay. Yeah. But at the moment, you just feel like it's all the feels are real. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the thing dads can even probably wrestle with, or I can, it's like, well, okay, well, then when they bring me something, like, do I just respond in this, like, perfect, loving, like, I listen, I, I take it, and kind of way. And, and I think even hearing Jermaine say that, I'm like, there, there is a balance of, like, hey, there, that doesn't mean there's not consequences for your actions at times. Mm-hmm. But I think what's so important is when your kids share something with you, what is your first step? Yeah is your first step to respond out of frustration or anger or is it meeting them with truly intentionality love listening to them hearing what is the deepest emotion that they are processing wrestling with to your point chris and then going hey there might need to still be consequences for our actions or decision or there might need to be follow-up but i think kids so often are taking in so much of what is my dad's first emotion or response to me that i see out of his heart when i share something yeah Yeah, and I think that that starts, I would imagine that the majority of the dads listening to the Dad You podcast probably have younger kids kind of like us. They're in the trenches Mm -hmm. of like just, you know, the messy middle, uh, you know, as they call it, where, you know, you have so many responsibilities, um, so many um, things vying for your time. Uh, I, I I can imagine that that's the majority of your audience. And I would say that the way you get to a place where your your teenager is excited to or not afraid of bringing these topics up to you is by being by by creating that culture when they're four by creating that culture when they're seven and so it starts way before those harder conversations or challenges come your way it starts even before they can talk Um, and so yeah that's my encouragement to maybe some of the the younger dads like us that might be listening of like hey you're preparing for the 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 difficult conversation at sixteen right now when that that kid is a four year old yeah so that's good okay let's end with this now you are so you were already working with students and then you became a dad <laughs> yeah how has that changed for both of you guys how has that changed how you view parenthood or fatherhood or the dads in your ministry anything like that H- how did it change you when you became a dad yourself I can go first um, I think I um, Maybe patience isn't the right word. I'm trying to think of the, the word that kind of encompasses it. Understanding. Mm-hmm. And here's what I mean by that. Um, if there are, um, you know, challenges that I experience with, you know, a family or the parents in particular with 
with their kids or um, ways that they might have been discouraged or frustrated by something that we did or um, something that we weren't doing to help Mm -hmm. their kids, you know, I could go, man, these parents just don't understand, you know, or, or at least have that feeling in my heart, even if I didn't say it out loud. And I think, you know, since becoming a dad, I've become more um, understanding maybe of some of the uh, quote unquote objections, uh-huh. and because I've just realized, honestly, you know, if you're a, if you're a decent dad or mom, you just want the best for your kids, yeah. and and you want to see your kids thrive. You want to see your kids, um, you know, uh, enjoy life. Like I I even see that in my own heart now with my three year old son, where I'm thinking like, you know, who are his friends? How are he do? How is he doing in those contexts? How is he, you know, fitting in? And, you know, I'm thinking about those things with a three-year-old. I can only imagine what you're thinking about with your, uh, you know, your 16-year-old son and wanting them to flourish and succeed in life. And so anyways, I'd say uh, a greater awareness and understanding that parents just want what's best for their kids, even if how they play that out isn't the most, isn't the most helpful. At the root of it is a desire to... Yeah. love and care for their kids good yeah i think it's so good I'm, I'm, i have a two answers i think one's pretty similar i think having a kid reminded or not reminded revealed to me i think how much more patience grace effort and care is required than i could have ever imagined uh-huh. like again i only have a two and a half year old but i'm like this is the messy middle right like, <laughs> like jermaine said like we're in the trenches and i'm like all right one's on the way i'm like okay what, what's it gonna be like when i as i have a two and a half year old that's running around the house that wants my wife to hold her, care for her in the exact same way. Well, also there's a newborn yep. around the house. And so there's just so much more patience, grace and care and effort required than I thought originally, which I think has given me more, I think, grace, patience and understanding for parents, as Jermaine said. The second thing I would say is uh, I was having a conversation with Dave Bruskus, who's been on the podcast before as well, we mentioned, but he, he shared with me, you know, kind of about his parenting as he looks back over the past years of of raising, I think, four girls, he shared, hey, something I really wanted to be intentional with my girls was I wanted them to not only know how much I loved them, but how much I delighted in them. Mm. And he's like, I made it a point to go every day. I wanted to spend at least 15 minutes with each one of my girls in intentional conversation, like one-on-one having a conversation with them. And I think I left that. And the thought that, that rang in my head was, man, I think that's someone who deeply understands or has seen the impact that his relationship with his girls will have in how they also view their heavenly father. Yeah. Like how they view their earthly dad has such a strong connection to their earthly father. And I think I see that again, even in a small, small picture now with Lucy, but I think hearing that from Dave and I've just been thinking about, about that a lot. And I love the analogy that John or imagery that John McGee gives where like, imagine that shot clock being above your head, Mm -hmm. like your kid's head, like it is constantly there and man, when you don't feel like getting down and playing with him, when you don't feel like reading one more book after you've already read three more books, like picture that shot clock there. Like, as you mentioned, Chris, like, you know, it is true that man, kids' world, students' worldview is shaped by the time they are 13. Yeah. And Proverbs 20 verse four is true that like, man, those who fail to plow in season will look up at the harvest and find nothing. And mm. if you don't intentionally care for and use those 13 years prior to that can easily kind of feel like this rinse and repeat, like long, really hard years. Um, And what are you going to look up and what are your kids going to have a view or picture of their view of not only their parents, but also their view of of God in light of that. Mm -hmm. That's great. 
Well, thanks, guys. This has, been, uh, this has been fun. Well. Hey, dads, we love you guys. And uh, just pray again that you would feel encouraged today and uh, equipped a little bit more. Uh, as a reminder, I always kind of try to summarize Deuteronomy 6 by telling you to love God, live his word, and lead your family. And uh, we pray that you guys are doing that. And until next time, we'll see you guys. See ya. Peace. Peace.